y'all stand on up, if you will. Welcome to the Lord's house. For those of y'all that are out in the Welcome Center, come on in. We're starting. Soul on fire. Praise the Lord. We're here to worship our King and our Savior and our Redeemer. He has freed us. He's given us new life. So there's no one else that deserves our praise other than the Lord. So we're going to lift our hearts and our voices up to Him today. So just do that with us, would you? All right? Amen. We can say it like this. We need you to get your worship on today, okay? We're going to worship with all of our heart today and just focus on our Savior. So thank you for being here. If you're joining us today as a guest, welcome. We're so glad that you came, and we would absolutely love to meet you after service. So do us a favor. 
Look in the pew back in front of you. You'll see a connect card like the one that I'm holding. Simply fill that out for us. And after church, if you'll meet us in our connect area, which is just straight through these center doors, we have a gift that we want to give you. I want to invite all of you to stand up right now and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and we are just overwhelmed by your love for us and by the gift of eternal life and the hope, Lord, of, of heaven and the forgiveness of sins. Lord, today, let us just focus on who you really are. And let us be aware of how much that you love us, Lord, and help us in turn just to respond in praise and worship and adoration. Lord, thank you for our praise team and for how they prepared to lead us in this time of, of just singing and praising you. Help us to lift our voices. And Lord, as Brother Will comes and preaches the gospel, would you just speak into our hearts? Help us to be attentive to your Holy Spirit. And Lord, help us just to, just to say yes to whatever you're asking of us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please get around and welcome one another this morning.
that we know that we are loved, right? Something inside every one of us, we need to know. We need to be affirmed that we are loved in difficult times and good times, that someone is there. And maybe if you don't know this morning, Jesus loves you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He did that for us all because Jesus loves you.
amazing that you love us, even when we fail, even when we have, have stumbled, and Lord, you pick us up, and you love us, you wipe us off, and, and you strengthen us, Father, and no matter what, you love us, and I'm so thankful for that love, Father, and, and I just praise your holy name because you are worthy to be praised, to be high and lifted up, and Father, as we lift you up this morning, I pray you draw us all near to you. God, I pray that um, you be with Brother Will this morning. Give him the words that we need to hear, Father. Open our hearts and help us to receive. I just thank you so much for your presence that's here with us this morning. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. give God a big hand. Praise the name of the Lord. Wow. It's good, good to be in this house today. Good to be with you. Uh, before I get up here and, and preach, let me talk to you for a little bit. Uh, the Bible says, let's enter his gates with thanksgiving. I've got a lot to be thankful for today. Amen. And I'm sure you do too. One of the things I'm thankful for is you and the journey that you're on. And then it says, we enter into his courts with praise. We give him praise. And today we have, again, a lot to be thankful and praiseful for. Uh, two of them are right here. You guys stand up. I got I to gotta talk about y'all just for a second. Jason and Marissa, this is a special day in, uh, in these guys' lives, and here's why. Uh, today, Jason celebrates eight years of sobriety. Eight years he's been clean and sober. Isn't that great? Eight years clean and sober. That's pretty cool. Love you, buddy. Love you too. Proud of you, man. And uh, and here's a cool thing. God God brought Jason and Marissa together, and two years today, today for two years, she has been clear of cancer. Two years. Same day. Same day. Same day. Isn't that great? Amen. Praise, we can praise the Lord for that, can't we? Yeah. God bless you. I love y'all. I love y'all. God bless y'all. Isn't that great? God, God just does cool things like that and uh, on the exact same day. Now, I'm going to preach from Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, but before, before I get there, I, I, I'm just going to have to do a little time out and talk to you, okay? Uh, last Sunday morning, I was preaching my sermon, and uh, I used a word, it's the, it's the H-E-L-L word, I talked about hell, and I made some kind of statement that uh, it's like God sent me to hell, or I was in hell. And, uh, and when I got home, my, my wife mentioned that to me, and she said, Will, it almost sounded like you uh, took that word hell out of context, and you were using it in a profane way. And uh, let me just stop right now and, and apologize for that. If, you, if it sounded that way, or if you took it that way, uh, I want to apologize, because I don't use profanity. I don't believe in, in cursing, and I would, I would never say anything intentionally that was like that, okay? So if it came across that way, would you accept my apology? Okay? All right. Let's clear the air. Good. Good. Uh, the analogy, I'll tell you this, the analogy is 
There, there were times I thought I was there, okay? I dealt with demon-possessed people in Pine Bluff. There was demon oppression all over that place. I went hand-to-hand, I believe, with the devil himself in my house on one Saturday night. We duped it out at 3010 Orange Street, and he was there to destroy me and my family. Um, I went through all of that so that I could become, I think, the guy that I am today. And, uh, and I am thankful for that. So anyway, there you go. I, I've said enough, all right? I'm not going to say anything else about it. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we are this morning. This is my eighth sermon in our Praise the Lord series. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Seven times a day I will praise him for his righteous laws. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. And God inhabits the praise of his people. And so if we are praising him and worshiping him with pure hearts and holy minds today, God is in this place. His presence is real. He is absorbing our praise to him this morning. And I believe Isaiah chapter 6 gives us a pattern of what a praise service is to look like. Here's Isaiah chapter 6. I've got to read it out of the old King James Version. Is that okay? All right. I I love, this is what I cut my teeth on, literally, chewing chewing on one of these old King James Bibles, I think. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it on my mouth. And he said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go. And tell this people. And so, Lord, we're standing here today telling the people. And I pray that as I try to say it on the outside, you would say it on the inside. Lord, speak to our hearts. Change us and make us into the people that you've called us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think this scene from Isaiah chapter 6 will help us with an idea of the protocol or the pattern of praise. 
It was in the year 759 B.C., and King Uzziah had died. In all likelihood, King Uzziah's reign was characterized by much blessing from God. God had blessed him with greatness and splendor and wealth more than any other king except Solomon. Few men, however, can endure greatness, and before long, pride and independence took their toll on King Uzziah. He was only 16 years old when he began to reign, and at first the Bible tells us that he sought the will of God. He heeded the instructions of Zechariah the prophet who coached him concerning the word of God. We read of him in 2 Chronicles 26 verse 5. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him great success. Now, I could stop right there and preach on that verse. As long as we seek the Lord, you know what? God is going to direct us and God is going to bless us. And God is going to give us success as long as we're seeking Him. He defeated the Philistines and the Arabians. He rebuilt cities and He constructed towers in the desert. He had herds of cattle in the plains and on the foothills. He had a well-trained army to do His battle at a moment's notice. He made these war machines and designed them to be used in the towers of defense. His fame spread far and wide, even to the borders of Egypt. Such was the kingdom under mighty King Uzziah. But as many men do, Uzziah forgot his source of strength and success. That it was God who gave him greatness. And it was God who could take that greatness from him. 2 Chronicles 26, 15 tells us of the tragic beginning of his downfall. It says, For he was greatly helped until he became too powerful. Hmm. You see, power was a quality for which Uzziah could not cope. And the very next statement crowns the description. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his destruction. His unfaithfulness to God was expressed as he presumptuously entered the temple one day with a golden censer in his hand to burn incense to God. And you might think, well, well what's wrong with that? Why, why couldn't he go into the temple of God and worship God? Well, it was illegal for him to do that. The Bible gave express meaning to the fact that only the high priest, only the priest of God, could carry incense into the temple and burn the incense before God. And so the high priest saw the king coming into the temple and he was burning incense. And the high priest and all the other priests came along behind him and they stopped Uzziah. They rebuked him in the name of the Lord and told him he could not do that. Well, Uzziah got plenty mad. He he threw a little fit, a temper tantrum. He yelled at the priest, and as soon as he yelled at the priest, he was smitten with leprosy from God. And the priests were standing there, and they saw the leprosy rise up over his body, totally consuming him from his feet all the way to his face. He was smitten with one of the greatest and most shameful diseases of his day. 
He had leprosy from that day until the day he died. It excluded him from the palace and from the temple. So he lived in this separate house. He was a sad and sickly recluse. And then sometime later, he died. And it was in the year of his death that Isaiah had this breathtaking vision that we read in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah found himself suddenly in the midst of this stirring worship service. And with his own two eyes, Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw Adonai on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. He then described these strange creatures who were in attendance. He called them seraphim. It is the only time this word was used in the entire Bible, and it's somewhat mysterious. The word seraphim literally means the flaming ones. And so here are these flaming ones flying around the throne of God. These creatures possess six wings. With one pair of wings, they covered their face. With one pair of wings, they covered their feet. And with one pair of wings, they flew about the throne. And the whole time, they are crying out this singular word of praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they continually cried that out. The sound of their voices caused the doorpost of the temple to shake. And the temple itself was filled with smoke. From his marvelous worship experience, I think we get a pattern or at least a protocol of what worship is really all about and what it looks like. This is, of course, a heavenly scene. And I'll say this emphatically. This was not a figment of Isaiah's imagination. He's not dreaming this. This was not a nightmare prompted by Sister Isaiah's spicy meatloaf that he ate the night before. This was an opening into the realm of the unseen where Isaiah gets a glimpse of reality. Now, understand this. We think reality is what we see. We think this is reality. Now, even though this is real, this is not real reality. Real reality is the unseen. We, we cannot see real reality. We can't see the control room of the universe. But it's real, and Isaiah gets to see it in Isaiah chapter 6. The sequel to this scene is a passage we've already read about and preached on, Revelation chapter 4. Remember that? And you'll see the, the likeness of both of these scenes and worship services as I preach from this one today. Let's look at four facets of this story. The first is this. I want you to notice the conditions that are conducive for us to see God. We read about it in verse number one. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, it seems to me that no time like tragedy calls for worship. You with me? It, it, it seems like when, when people face 
tragedy, whether it's an individual or a family or a national tragedy, they are more open to worshiping God. They are more open to the Word of God. They're searching and looking for something. It's when tragedy falls on you that you pick up the phone and call the preacher or that you come to church. Why? Because something has happened in your life that has shook you to your foundation and you are open to the things of God. That's what had happened here. The king was dead. He had reigned for 52 years and his death was, was sort of a climax to a national tragedy. God had smitten Uzziah with leprosy, but he was not dead yet. And so he could not be mourned as dead. His son Jotham had charge of the palace and also governed the people, but he was not the king. The king was a recluse. The king could not be seen by his people. He couldn't walk the streets. He couldn't talk with his people. He was shut up in a separate house. And so when visitors or dignitaries came into the country, they would ask, well, where's the king? And it was whispered in low voices, he has leprosy. Think about this statement. God has been known to empty thrones and chairs and homes and even pulpits so that he might reveal himself. And that's what's happened here. When the earthly king was dead, Isaiah and the people had a glimpse of the heavenly king. They got a glimpse of, of God. Now, I hate it when tragedy happens. I, I hate it in my family. I hate it for you. But you know what? It could be that some of you here today have had a personal tragedy this past week or this past month. And God's got your attention through that. And so you are here today, and perhaps you're here today listening to this sermon a little bit differently than you would have last week or the month before. Tragedy has a way of doing that. And those are the conditions conducive for these people to see God. A tragedy had occurred. The second thing I want you to see is this. It's, it's kind of like a snapshot. I want you to see a view of the one who is being worshipped. And Isaiah describes him again in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, Isaiah had no description of God in his vision. He did not describe the splendor of God or his surroundings. He only said two things about God. Number one, he was seated on a throne. He said, God is sitting there on this throne, and it is a really big throne. Now, we have little appreciation for thrones or their significance in our modern Western world. But in days of old, the higher and the greater the throne, the greater the personage who sat upon the throne. And God is on this huge throne that is high and lifted up. And the throne, doubtless, is the same throne described by John in Revelation chapter 4. It is the real throne of the universe. And if you'll remember a few weeks ago when I preached on Revelation chapter 4, talking about God on that throne, I said, 
That is the throne of the universe. It is the control center of our universe. Think about that. Everything that happens, every moment of every day throughout the entire universe is controlled at that throne. And by the one who is seated on the throne. The second thing he describes there is the train of God's robe. And he said it filled the entire temple. Again, going back in history, the length of the robe was also a measure of the magnitude of the greatness of the one wearing the robe. And the greatness of this king was such that his robe filled the temple. Why? Because he is Adonai. (laughs) He is the great I am, the one who rules. Isaiah had never seen a king like the one he is seeing on this throne. He's our God. The next snapshot is let's take a view of the ones who are worshiping that throne. Look at verses 2 through 4. He said, above it, the throne stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, with twain they covered their face, with twain they covered their feet, with twain they did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Now, the mystery of these seraphims is not going to be settled until we finally worship at the throne ourselves and we get to see these seraphim with our own two eyes but their actions give us some vital implications regarding the protocol of worship the throne is the center of their attention get this the one seated on the throne is the center of their attention and both their posture and their conversation are worthy of note What is their posture? Well, they're flying around. How are they flying around? They've got wings. And their conversation, they are saying words. So for the next couple of minutes, as we take a snapshot of these who are worshiping God, I want you to notice the wings and the words. Now, when you think of wings, you're thinking of fried chicken. eh? Because it's getting pretty close to that time. Well, get your mind off of fried chicken. We're talking about seraphim and their six wings. With one pair of wings, they covered their faces. That is a symbol of reverence. Why were they covering their faces? Because they could not look upon the shining one who was seated on the throne. And so in reverence, they covered their faces. With a second pair of wings, they covered their feet. That was a sign of humility. Why? Because they were in the presence of the great I am. The God of the universe. And so they humbled themselves. And with the remaining pair, they flew. To me, that is a sign of their service and their obedience. They were being obedient to God. Serving him as they were created to serve him. With reverence and humility, they were obeying the call upon their life. What were they called to do? To give praise to God. That was their service. That's what they were doing. 
Thus the connection and analogy with you and I. For just like these seraphim, we are to be in reverent awe before the throne of God. We are to approach his throne in humility and through obedience. We are to serve him doing what he has made us and called us to do. And our primary purpose as the creation is to give praise to the creator. That's what God has made us to do. We may not have wings to fly around, but we can certainly use our hands and our feet serving the Lord and giving praise to him. That's their wings. Second thing are their words. And their words, at least the first part, were identical to the words spoken by the four creatures in Revelation chapter 4. Remember what these four creatures said in Revelation 4? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And now these seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6 are flying around the throne, and what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So they give us a clue about the central attribute of God. Here's what it is. God is holy. Let me tell you, my God is a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of forgiveness and a God of long-suffering. And the list could go on and on and on about those attributes. But he's a God that is holy as well. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is love, love, love. Or God is mercy, mercy, mercy. Or God is grace, grace, grace. But it does say numerous times that God is holy, holy, holy. He is flawless and he is spotless. There is absolutely nothing about him that anyone can criticize. He is beyond scrutiny. He is El Shaddai, the Holy One, the Mighty One, who is able to nourish and provide. He's holy. And that's what they are saying. Holy, holy, holy. Did you hear that? I had to tell them first service, turn up your hearing aids just a little bit. They weren't whispering. They were being loud. So loud that the portals of the doors trembled. For, for those in this room today and outside of this room who detest loud praises, I want to issue a caution right here. We have here recorded for us the protocol of heaven. Whether we like it or don't like it, whether we agree with it or don't agree with it, we have here what is happening in heaven. And who are we to decide what is proper deportment before the throne of God? You don't get to decide that. This is palace protocol, and it's loud. Their shouts of praise were like a thousand Niagaras 
cascading down the cliffs. And so it is with biblical praise. It often can become noisy. In fact, it is not uncommon at all in the book of Revelation for praises to be described as loud voices. In Revelation 5, 11, and 12, there is a description of angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. And in a loud voice, they sang praises to God. Revelation 7:10, a great multitude which no man could count cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 12, after the great dragon who had made war in heaven was hurled down to the earth, this loud voice announced, Now have come salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. There are four hallelujahs in Revelation chapter 19. I am soon going to preach on these four hallelujahs out of Revelation chapter 19. But as these four hallelujahs are given, they are given with loud shouts. In fact, I, I want to read it, okay? I just feel, I feel a compulsion to read this to you. We're going to preach from this in a few weeks. But listen to Revelation chapter 19. After these things, I heard a great voice. Some translations use the word a loud voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great prostitute which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! <laughs> I wish somebody in here would say amen, hallelujah. Would you be? Well, that's good, but that sure wasn't loud. Let me tell you. Verse 5, and a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants. Praise ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah and amen. Guys, let me say, this, this is just a snapshot of those who are worshiping the throne of God with humility and reverence and in obedience. They are serving God and doing what they were made to do, and that is give praise to God with their lips and with their life. And it wasn't silent. And they didn't care who heard them. They spoke their praise loud and clear. 
I'd like to sit down with each one of you individually and just ask you a question. What do you think about that? I mean, really, what, what do you think about that? This is the protocol of heaven's praise. Why would we be any different than these seraphim? We've been redeemed. They don't know the song of redemption. Angels don't know that song. We do. Hallelujah. Amen. One last snapshot I want you to see, and that is of the one viewing the worship scene. It's Isaiah. At first, Isaiah was a spectator. But you know what? You cannot remain for long a spectator in a genuine scene of worship. Because sooner or later, it, it is going to come your turn to respond. You, you, you can't stay a spectator. And, and, and that's the way many of you just like to, you, you'd like to remain. You, you like being a spectator. You like coming in here and just sitting and spectating and watching without taking a part of or being involved in. You just like to watch. Spectator. You know the problem with spectators? Sooner or later, they're going to start grumbling and griping. I've, I've seen a lot of spectators this year in different sports events. And most of them, you know, unless your team is just dominating and winning, you're not happy. And, and you know, even some of those spectators, when their team is winning, they'll find something to complain or gripe about. Well, the coach didn't let my boy play enough today. Or, you know, I don't know what they were thinking out there. Why, did, why didn't he see my son open? You know? You'd think I'd know what I'm talking about, wouldn't you? We love to gripe about the officials, the other team. That's what's wrong with being a spectator. Here, here it is. When you come into God's house, into a scene of worship, you cannot remain a spectator long. Why? Because sooner or later, your turn is going to come to respond. In such a scene before one has time to pass judgment, he or she is judged. And there are three rhyming words which hint at what happens in the midst of a heavenly praise service. And that's why I love reading this out of the King James. They have these three rhyming words. Woe, low, go. Woe, low, go. Woe, low, go. All right? So let's look at them. Here's the first one. Woe. This is a word of conviction and confession. A proper self-assessment is always afforded in the atmosphere of praise. Woe is me. For I am undone, declared Isaiah. And then he became more specific. He said, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now you're wondering, how did Isaiah come to that conclusion and become convicted over that and make that confession? Well, it's because of that very next phrase. He says, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's what brought the conviction. Now, it is not unusual for conviction to break out during a service of heavenly worship. Sometimes, biblical preaching will bring about personal conviction. And you know what? That's its intent purpose. To correct us. 
And the Bible says, before people can be saved, they must hear the word of truth. Why? Because the word convicts us and the word sets us free. But I don't think it's unusual at all when the word of God is preached by the man of God that people fall under conviction. That's what's supposed to happen. But you know what? There are other times when the greatest conviction is produced by praise and by worship. Even before preaching takes place. It's the way it was with Isaiah. No one in this passage pointed out to Isaiah his sin. There was no preacher who stood before him and pointed his finger and said, Isaiah, you are a wretched sinner. Repent or burn. Nobody, nobody said that to him. They didn't have to. Because he was in a worship service of praise. Please, please follow my thinking here and understand what I'm getting at. Here's what I believe. When we come into this place and our hearts are right with God, that is, you've been living for him this past week. You've been praising him this past week. If, if there was sin, you confess the sin before you got here. And when you come in this place, your heart is right with God. And collectively, we come together. And we are lifting our voices in praise to God. We are worshiping God like these seraphim are worshiping. With reverence and humility and obedience, serving God. When collectively we are doing that, here's what I know based on the Word of God. God's with us. Because God inhabits the praise of His people. And so God is here. Therefore, if, if you're in this room this morning, and, and even during the praise and worship, if, if, if there was a rumbling in your heart, you, you got real uncomfortable, and God's Holy Spirit started speaking to you, it's because He's here. And as His people are worshiping, you realize, you know what? I really can't participate in that worship because my heart is not right with God. I'm undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And I've been living in a world of people of unclean lips. And their uncleanliness has spread off into my life. How do I know that? Before Brother Will stood up there and preached the word of God, I knew that because God's people were praising him and I couldn't praise him. Does that make sense? So when we're in the presence of a holy God and we see God, we sense God, we hear the praises of other people giving praise to God, there may be conviction that falls upon our life and maybe we have to confess. Lord, I'm not right with you. But then the second rhyming word comes in, lo. This is found in verses 6 and 7. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it on my mouth and he said, lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. For Isaiah had seen the real king. He had seen Lord God Almighty, and conviction had come. Now when the seraphim comes to Isaiah with a live coal from off the altar, this seraphim is saying, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. 
This, therefore, is a word of divine cleansing. Conviction had ushered in confession. And confession had brought about cleansing. And that's the way it works. It's the only way it works. And then the third word, go. That's the word of service. Praise which does not lead to sanctified service has not been genuine praise. Immediately after the cleansing experience, the the live coal placed on Isaiah's lips, the Lord was heard to inquire, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah responds quickly, Here am I, send me. Why? Because he had just seen God. And God's Holy Spirit had got a hold of his life and changed him from the inside out. And he's ready to volunteer. Lord, I'll do anything. You touch me. You change me. I I owe my life to you. So here am I. Use me, Lord. Here am I. Send me. Genuine worship and praise will always evoke commitment and consecration and obedience. Praise presents new direction and intensity in our life. So go do that. I will. Why do you say I will? Because it's burning inside of you. God is burning inside of you. And you've got to serve him. You've got to. You can't sit there and soak anymore. Because you know you'll sour and then stink. So you volunteer. Over seven centuries later, John on the Isle of Patmos walked into this same worship service. And my conviction is this. This same worship service of adoration and praise that was going on in Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4 is still happening in heaven today. God is continuously being praised. In the realm of the eternal and invisible reality, praise is the order of the day. And and this could be the most important statement I make all morning. It's this. We line up with heaven when we praise God. We line up with eternity when we become people of praise. And so my prayer is that our testimony will be similar to Isaiah's on praise. I saw the Lord. I witnessed the praise. I was convicted. I confessed. I was cleansed. I heard the call. And I made the commitment. I can tell you, that's my testimony. I pray it's yours. Heavenly Father, would you please speak to our hearts? And if we need to make this same confession this morning, I pray that you would give us the freedom to do that. Lord, there's someone in this room that they've been convicted this morning, either through the praise and worship or by your word. They know things are not right in their life. Either they've never been saved or they're away from you. And dear Lord, I pray that that right now during this invitation, as they are convicted, I pray that they would come and confess, that they would be cleansed, that they would hear your call, And they would make a commitment to serve and praise you with their life. 
Lord, for the rest of us who just need to come and give you praise, <laughs> Lord, I, I just pray that we would be uninhibited in coming forward today and praying to you. Lord, you're great, you're awesome, you're holy, holy, holy. And may we reverence ourselves. And may we humble ourselves and obey you this morning. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Praise team's going to sing. Come and pray, would you? Step out right now. Come. Come to the Lord. Thank you, dear Jesus. We praise you and we love you. I pray a blessing on every person in this room, and I pray a blessing on our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And I'm going to ask our ushers to make ready for this morning's offering. Uh, your assignment is to uh, memorize these words of the seraphim and use them in your own praise this next week. Let's pray right now and ask God to bless this offering. I, I do ask that you pray for Miss Betty Newell. Betty has been in the hospital all week, and uh, Betty hopes and prays she gets to go home today, and let's pray that uh, she be healthy enough to do that. So let's pray right now, ask God to bless the offering, and also bless Miss Betty. Jason, pray for us, would you?
Amen. chapter 19 just get used to doing it all right hey there's boy there's a ton of announcements in the bulletin i'm not going to read those to you other than referring to a couple of them altar worker training is going to go on today and wednesday it is the same training session so if you would like to be used uh, to help people as they pray at the altar you need to go through one of these training sessions you can either come tonight at five o'clock or wednesday night it's 6 o'clock, going to meet in room 209. Brother Jason is going to be doing that for us, so uh, please uh, take note of that. Yeah, C Unity CTS companies, that's next Sunday, isn't it? It's going to be down in Greenwood. Wow, ready for that. That's going to be awesome. Also, uh, next Sunday, Spring Forward. Did y'all know that? Yes. Daylight saving times begin. I think that means you lose an hour of sleep. So you know what? If you show up next week at, right in like what you think is 10.30, it's going to be 11.30, and we'll be done. All right? So anyway, now some of you, hallelujah, some of you might say, <laughs> hallelujah, that's what, I'm not changing my clock. Pray for these families up here who lost loved ones. We have several of them, and uh, we want to pray for each other. One last thing. If you are a board member, a trustee member, a Sunday school teacher, or an officer of the church, I need to meet with you right after the service, just right down here at front, okay? So those of you who are elected officials and officers of the church, I need to meet with you just for a second 
after we're finished. Okay? I love you. God loves you. Have a great day. You're dismissed.